Hi everyone, it's David Griffiths here with a quick message for you before we get underway on today's exciting episode with Moondog. First of all, I just wanted to give a quick apology for the quality of the audio uh, in this episode. It's not up to our usual high standards. Uh, As you'll hear, there are a few issues both with weather and locations that we had to battle through in this episode. But I hope you'll be able to stick with it because there's some really fun, exciting stories uh, and some real insights into the world of Moondog uh, that I've certainly never heard before and that I think will be new to you too. So hopefully you can persist. And um, also a quick message that if you don't have the beers for this episode, check out our Shopify store. Uh, just search Cool Room Shopify and uh, check out the Moondog pages. We not only have still uh, barrels or bottles of the recreation of the 2013 Jumping the Shark, but we've also got some limited stocks of Black Lung 11. These are amazing beers. Uh, They're at incredibly cheap prices, and we'd love them to be enjoyed rather than sitting around in the cool room. Uh, So jump on, and even if you've grabbed one pack, feel free to grab another while those stocks are there and at those amazing cheap, cheap prices. Uh, And while you're there, you can also check out our January packs, uh, where we'll be selling, apart from anything else, uh, beers for our next Met the Brewers, which will be online on Saturday the 15th of January, uh, with Lupulin Project live from Minnesota. So some really exciting uh, beers in that pack. Uh, Make sure you're part of it. There's only about five or six packs left, I think. Okay, on with the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Room. This is episode 113. The numbers keep on going up, and we've got a very special episode tonight. Guests who've kind of been on the show before, but we've never sat down and had a proper meet the brewers, meet the owners, meet the reps like we're going to have tonight with some fantastic beers in our hands Tonight's show is coming to you live from my parents' backyard in Bendigo, uh, which was a bit unexpected, but that's part of the entire experience of the cool room. It's a little map of all of our lives in strange ways. Um, Travis Bristow, if there were ceiling windows in my parents' back room, I could see some big storm clouds rolling in right now. You had some of those in Melbourne last night, I think. We did, and we even had some in Melbourne today as well. It's kind of been a bit of a you know, first day of summer in Melbourne yesterday or in Australia yesterday, and we had literally four seasons in one day. Like, uh, it was the crowd in the house would have been so happy, mate. Well, they announced a tour today to uh, to basically, you know, in celebration of, of the first of December. Do you, you, reckon they were just, you reckon they were just hanging around waiting somewhere like, you know, around the back of Gadinsky's house, just waiting for someone to go, today's the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure that's, uh, I'm sure that's the excellent thing. timing. Warren Wu is also in the list. He is. Hello, hello, Warren. Hello, hello. How are you this evening? Yeah, all right, all right. I have literally just run from my work computer onto my podcasting computer and yeah oh who's fancy and has two computers well no (laughs) not me how weird is that two computers um i wonder if our guests tonight uh from moondog have two computers it's um i can see them in the zoom room they're both in separate locations so that kind of answers the first part of the question uh chris and carl welcome to the call room guys um 
as David alluded to, this is the first time I've actually had you in the Zoom room for a full-blown meet the brewer session and, and drinking some beers together. How are we? Very good. Um, thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be back in the cool room. I think it's my second time here. Yes, yeah. And first time for Carl, yeah? First time for me. Um, yeah, I got uh, invited a few weeks ago. Uh, and I've been, yeah, saving up the beers, looking forward to it. There's a, a bit of a crowd here. I like it. It's good. This is Saving uh, up the beers, does that imply you, like, literally you get, what, one one can a week from the brewery, do you, after all these years? You've got to save them up. <laughs> you say that, but I'm going to drink a lot tonight, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good, mate. That's, that's exactly what we're doing here. And, you know, even though Melbourne has has come out the other side of lockdown and stuff. We still get a big crowd into the call room each week um, to, to try out some beers and, and have a chat to, to people like you, which is really cool. And we've got some, uh, some more cool events coming up, but uh, tonight we're going to sit down and try some Moondog. Uh, we are going to start off with, um, with the old mate. Um, David, were you going to take the first couple of questions here and then we'll... Uh, I, I, I reckon I will, mate, because I'm old mates with Chris, who's always been a very good group yes. with me. I've been old mates with Carl, so it just seemed like a, an appropriate place to, to kick off. I was listening to some old Cool Room episodes where Chris had been on, and uh, it was a very deep and sensible discussion we actually had last time we were on the show, mate. And the other time that we have uh, had Moondog on the show was when we were standing out in the middle of a huge empty space in Preston on the night that the first brewery brawl happened with the MCW wrestlers. Um, and I listened to that episode today and got a bit of a giggle. So do go back and have a listen to those ones if you want to hear a bit of the history of Moondog and a bit of the history of the podcast. But um, welcome to both of you. I want to, I want to get both of you to introduce each other. I want to hear about the first time you met doesn't even have to be in Moondog World, you know, Carl, if you met Chris in one of his previous incarnations as running all sorts of dodgy places across Melbourne. Where do you reckon you guys first met? I have no recollection of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a yes. Because I, I recognise... Yeah, no, I recognise you when you first started, but Chris... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Chris is obviously uh, well known to this team, to this group. Um, he is one of our oldest uh, sales geniuses that has been operating at Moondog when, uh, at a time when we had probably about 15 employees, maybe even less at that time. And we were operating out of a very small brewery out of Abbotsford. And we had just essentially only just introduced our first core range beers and we're only really starting to bring up the volumes of these beers and so Chris and the team were uh had the responsibility of trying to sell these core range beers to people who had never ever bought a core range beer before from Moondog um and they've done a great job and like I said Chris is uh he stuck with us the entire time he's seen the business change more almost more than anybody else he's seen us move to new venues expand into new markets um, he's seen the, the release and he's embraced the release of our Fizzer product uh, nationally. He's seen our Moondog Moon World venue open and we've had some big nights there. Um, but most, impo- most importantly, he's out there, he's on the road. Um, and he's representing exactly what Moondog is and there couldn't be a better person here uh, to represent us tonight. 
Gee, that's a wrap up, brother Chris. Yeah, bit, I hope you can do just as well in response. <laughs> oh, I'll try my best. Um, I think, uh, Carl, the first time I met you would have been when Brent would have brought you into Kent Street. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, uh, but I wouldn't have known who you were at the time, and even still, after working for a couple of weeks at the Moondog, I just didn't know. Working at Moondog is is such a, a wonderfully like casual experience that somebody can walk in the room in the small office that we had back in Abbotsford and you would be like, who's this? Like, you just, like, you thought a brewer walked in for a chat to, like, shoot the shit and it was, oh, that's Carl. He's one of the, one of the originals, one of the owners. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's like the guy to go to. And um, over the almost three years now that I've been with Moondog, um, Carl and I have have, have shared many a yarn, many a drink, and I, I count him as one of my good friends. So um, it's all been my, I'd say, a, a wonderful learning experience, a wonderful place to thrive and flourish as an individual and uh, in my chosen profession as um, I think my professional title or my official title is Beer Tart, I think is what I go by these days. A funny signature, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's what's on my email. Um, so, yeah, Carl, one of the three founding members of our wonderful brewery. I've, I've got to say, you know, you talk about Chris being one of the old school, but, you know, I think of Brent as one of the new ones compared to Wags and some of the first reps that I dealt with back in 1863. So <laughs> our old mate is the, right, is the right sort of phrase to use tonight. We, and, um, we're going to have a conversation about what is core range. Um Old mate, I've written, I've probably drunk more of this beer than any other beer that I've drunk in my life. I don't mean that honestly, but it wasn't the original core range, but tell us a bit about this beer and why it works so well as a core range beer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we when we started off, core range wasn't really a thing. Uh, I guess we were just trying to, we'd brew a different beer every month. Um, we'd release that until it sold out, and then next month we'd brew a new beer. Damo, I'm sure you remember those days. Uh, Damo was uh, was was around, helping us out, working for us, one of our first employees as well, uh, when we were only doing kind of 80 cases at a time. Um, and then the idea sort of came that we, we wanted to, I don't know, prove, well, not prove, but maybe learn how to brew consistently. Um, and so Core Range was one of the ways to do that. It started off with our Love Tap uh, Double Lager, uh, which at the Core Range stage was was a 5.9% dry hop lager, which was just ridiculous. It did change around a bit, the Love Tap, didn't it? It went from a pale to a lager. Yeah, it went from a 7.1% lager down to a 59 down to a 5 and in its current form it's sitting at 45 Chris? I don't know. Um, uh, oh God, love tap! It was yeah, it was four, four and a half between yeah. four and five when I started. Um, but it wasn't around for long. It was literally there for a couple of months. Sorry, that's my doorbell for some reason. I'll be right back. <laughs> the doorbell um, so yeah. is less disturbing than Chris's shorts. But I, I think <laughs> it's really that, um, anyone who's just listened to the podcast, we're not going to describe in detail what that looked like. Let's just, let's just push on, Carl. We should be just lucky that he's wearing shorts. Oh, he's back. I, <laughs> I don't think he is wearing shorts, actually. That was, that was more confronting coming back than when you left there, Chris. <laughs> Sorry to 
freeze frame at the wrong point. It's a good day for stubbies. That's all I'm saying. It's that's really okay. Fun. We're not we're not recording this. Who was at the door? Oh, that was my um my my Uber Eats that I ordered two hours ago in oh. time to you know get on some beers for the cool room. So. Oh. It is, say, it, it, it is the... rough weather out there, so I understand. I think you, I think you were telling you were telling us about the old mate before I distracted myself. Oh, yeah, right, old mate. Shorts. Sorry um, about that. <laughs> so, old mate was our second crack at doing a call. We released old mate at the same time as Mac Daddy, um, and unlike Love Tap, this wasn't a it wasn't really a beer before we made it call. We were kind of playing around with an American pale ale putting some sort of citrusy hops into it with a little bit more of a different malt base, kind of a sweeter style than what you would probably get elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, it, once we moved into the brewery, once we moved out of the brewery uh, in 17 Duke Street and moved into 21, that's when we had the sort of capacity to be able to to do more core range beers. Um, and that sort of gave birth to Old Mate and Mac Daddy. Old Mate, originally... So Love, Love Tap originally was Josh's recipe. Uh, Mac Daddy originally was Adrian McNulty, our, our lead brewer's recipe. And this one was my recipe. So I originally developed this beer. I was pretty proud of it when it came out. Obviously, the, the current version of this bears virtually no resemblance to the first ones that we did. Um, it's, a, it's a much, it's a much uh, lighter, um, you know, less malt-driven, more kind of really sort of fruity, hop-driven kind of beer. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's our, it's our biggest seller. It's our biggest product. Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just great, especially on a day like today. It's fucking muggy out there. Jesus. Can, can I ask a kind of naughty question, which is, does your original recipe from time to time pop up with a different label on it? You know, is it just suddenly re-emerge, not called Old Mate or not called Carl's favourite first recipe, but just, you know... Mr. Spatchcock surprise or something. I guess that's what you'd call a beer if you made a new one this afternoon. One of the really unique things about my original recipe was one of the malts that we used, and it was a really uniquely malted uh, pale malt called uh, American Pale, and it was malted in New Zealand. Um, And one of the reasons that we don't use that malt anymore is because it's fucking expensive and it's much easier <laughs> to, to use Australian malts, um, especially when you're not going for that kind of sweet malt flavour that I was. So uh, in answer to your question, no, no, we don't, because we don't have that malt anymore. We don't, I don't think we deal with that company anymore at all. The guy's a bit of a, like a, I think he's a racist. So it's a bit, well, see, I shouldn't say that. No, we can edit that part out for sure. And I'll leave that in. I love it. Um, <laughs> I actually realised uh, when I opened my can of Moondog that I've actually, uh, the, of Old Mate, that I've drank an absolute shit tonne of this beer over the years, but I've yeah. never drank it out of a can. I've, oh, never, yeah? I've never cracked a can of Old Mate. I've only ever had it on tap, um, which I'm not sure how I managed to, to do that. And it's something just popped into my head. It was quite an, quite an impressive thing that uh, given how much of this I drank at places like the Royal Mail, um, yeah, never had a can of it. Only ever on tap. Can you, can maybe Carl? Can you paint us a bit of a picture? I remember going to the OG Abbotsford site on many and many a night out, and just getting absolute tanked and really enjoying the atmosphere of everything. Um, paint us a bit of a picture of where it is for the overseas listeners, like because it's such a unique 
location and space down there. Um, give us a bit of the bit of a bit of a tour on it. So the original the original brew house on Seventeen Duke Street in Abbotsford. Um, we moved in there in November 2010. I guess one of the the requirements of our, our facility that we wanted to build back then, which was 11 years ago, was that we wanted it to be in a city. Um, we wanted it to be kind of industrial, but sort of, you know, on the way to being kind of less industrial. Um, and we wanted a, a pretty crappy cheap warehouse where we could just get started. Um, and this particular one was, I think, the third one that we looked at, but it, it, it essentially ticks all those boxes. It's 5Ks away from the city. Uh, in, in Abbotsford, which is next to Richmond um, and around that kind of Collingwood area as well. We, essentially at that stage where the craft beer scene was really booming um, or burgeoning, really. Um, and it's, it's down this one-way street off a main road. Uh, and back then there was, you know, a car repair place, another warehouse, and it was uh, right in the shadow of the CUB warehouse, the CUB brewery, the Abbotsford Brewery, which is a massive, like, 20-hectare site on the side of the Yarra, uh, which, again, is it's very odd for that kind of the size of that facility to be so close to the city, but it's just because it's where it's always been for hundreds of years or, I don't know, 100 years. Uh, yeah. And so being in the shadow of that brewery, um, being in this industrial area, but you know, also being really where craft beer was coming out, was perfect for us. We knew we knew the people would would appreciate it. They'd come there, and we knew that we wouldn't have any issues with the council. I mean, you know, there's already a massive brewery there. They're not going to say no to another one. So, yeah, that, that, there's a logic there that the, the, that is genius in its simplicity. There yeah. Yeah. Did you ever feel like they were just looking down on you and did you get a bit intimidated about that massive... Because, you know, it's a pretty daunting building at the best of times. It's, you know, when you're in the shadow of it, it's... It, it is good. Um, they used to have a, a staff bar that would overhang mm. essentially Duke Street and you could see Duke Street from their staff bar balcony. And so when Josh and I were, were living there, We'd sort of sit out on the thing and sort of wave up to the brewers who were looking down on us. But they were they were a great company. The, the people across the road from us on Duke Street actually worked for CUB. They did all their merchandising and stuff. And for the first, I think, two years while we were brewing, we didn't have a forklift. Uh, so we had no way of, like, taking pallets off trucks. So when the bottles came, we just sort of looked at this truck and then think, shit, well, we didn't think about this. We've only ever done deliveries with slabs in the back of our car and stuff and now we've got this pallet that's i mean we could probably get four or five of us to lift it down but um yeah the guys across the road from cb said you know what i'll come and do it for you and so he did all of our forklifting for about two years um which wasn't super often uh, it was probably about once a week but it was still really good they're really they were really good people that's cool uh, you, you never realize you need a forklift till you actually need one i reckon so yeah. it's um yeah, and if you you need to get stuff off trucks, it's the best way to go. Borrow someone else's, I say. I think we uh, we touched on a few things in relation to you know your core range and stuff. You mentioned that you know, this is probably your biggest seller. Is that pretty much accurate? Um, yeah, I'd say it would be. Yes, Chris. Yes. Uh, as far as our beer range goes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, we'll wait get... a minute. What, what, what else? Uh, that, that raises a question. 
apart, like, as far as your beer range goes, what else are you selling that's going to sell more than Old Mate? It's all that meth. Like, people yeah. just can't get enough of <laughs> What them. are you doing? We, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought this up, Chris, because it's a, it, some people might consider it a, what we're about to talk about as a bit of a dirty word in the cool room. Um, why don't you tell us about what you're, you're thinking in relation to what else you guys sell? Um, there's a, a clear liquid that has recently kind of, well, I said recently, it's what, 13 months old, 14 months old, most, um, that has absolutely taken over and, and, and we embraced it during lockdown and, and kind of, I reckon I'm, I'm right in saying that everything kind of fell into place in a, in a very difficult time where we were able to, uh, put together kind of, uh, this this new idea um, that was hitting the Australian market and I think it came up pretty well with the old alcoholic. Did you guys ever, like, you know, do you look back on that now and go, like, these were going to be a massive, massive thing? Like, you know, tell us a bit of the story about how it all came about for you guys. I remember in my first week in the office, um, Dave Langlands, who... Uh, some of you may know was sat there um, who was uh, part of our export um, still is but less so now because of the world around us and I remember just jesting with him asking hey what are we going to do like a uh, like a, a white claw and I won't repeat what he said because you'll get demonetized but it was it wasn't the most polite thing because um, it was never it was it wasn't really thought of but um Boy, that changed, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the – and just for my – I'm really curious on this, but how does it fit into the percentage of the the sales of the business? Like, have you worked out the, the salsa sort of versus beer ratio? Um, yes. <laughs> Do you want to share? <laughs> no. Um, it's not as much as the beer. Do yeah. you think the bubble the is reversed? still bigger? The beer is still bigger. Are, yeah. are we, are we sitting here having this conversation now? And then in 12 months time, no one's going to remember what the fuck we're talking about and they just won't exist anymore. Or is it just going to keep going the way it's going? Well, you mean the beer won't exist? No, no, there's <laughs> the other one. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's here to stay. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really good. Yeah. What short, sharp answer? I think you're here. To, like here to say is a very short way to put it, but I mean, um, the most recent project to do with our with the Fizzer brand is uh, just to deviate quickly is our, our post mix, which was yeah. That's how would you? What would you say about post mix, Carl? Post mix. Uh, our post mix system is a way to get taps into places where we couldn't get taps into previously because they were contracted. Now, um, let, let's touch on the post-mix thing before we, we move on to the next beer, um, which which Warren is going to take us through. You guys gave away a post-mix machine recently. We, we lent it. Why uh-huh. you lent it? So we, we installed it and provided them with all the cells that they could have. I think it was like for six months or 12 months, Chris. I don't know. Six? Six months. I'm yeah. Not, yeah. So we, we basically installed it in their house for six months and they can just go nuts 
for that amount of time. Um, it looked pretty cool. I mean, it, uh, it looked pretty impressive. Um, my partner, Lauren, actually knew the people that know the people that actually uh, scored that, and it looks pretty epic. Um, what happens to it after the six months? Tell us the story. Is it someone's house? I don't know this story. Is oh, it like you guys in, don't know this. No, no, no. Is it like in someone's backyard? Can I have it next? Well, that's why I was asking the question, because I want it. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, I right. want it to come to my place. That's not bad. You're not too far from my place. So there. Either. Okay. Am I correct in thinking, guys, you literally, you pretty much just ran an Instagram competition um, to sort of make this happen, yeah? That's, yeah, spot on. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. And it does just look like your standard post-mix machine that you get in your, your local cinema, but it's... um. It's got the clear liquid in it. And you'd think that that would be really simple, but it's not. It was actually an incredibly complicated project to get off the ground. Um, sticking alcohol and all of the, uh, the regs and the, the chemicals, not the chemicals, but like the, the materials that can handle alcohol that would not normally handle alcohol, is, uh, it was a very painful, painstaking process. Um, and, yeah, the team's done a great job to get to where it is now, which is good. What was the hardest part? Because in my head, in my head, and I think it's probably before the same thoughts that you guys had before before you did this, was that it's just alcohol, just stick it in the bag like you're with the cordial that normally comes out, and she'll be right. Like, that's in my head, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it, it's just a cordial mixed with alcohol as opposed to a regular, like, Coke or Pepsi or whatever. I think we were actually oh, yeah. installing machines before we had the liquid ready. Is that right, Chris? Hi. <laughs> Not quite. We had oh, the first close. batch ready. We definitely yeah, installed the awful. machine at Moondog before the liquid was ready. That was the that was the test to that. Um, but the 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 whole idea with putting the it's not as simple as putting an alcohol into a syrup because that falls under a completely different idea of what the product is in itself because yeah. seltzer is a product um so not only have you got the whole tax thing but you've got the way of making it we can't just get ethanol and dump it into a into a into like yeah. a coke mixture for example yeah. not only that is the alcohol um eats away at the majority of the components of your traditional or your yeah. standard kind of you know your post yeah and we, I think that was one of the initial ideas that we had, and we looked into it um, and found out that it's going to break pretty pretty quickly. Um, so having to get everything designed and made, um, as well as the brew team figuring out how to get the product from a four percent um, well presented, well flavored um, uh, canned item to to basically what's the best way of putting it? Um, just um, Making it so it's a seven, what sixteen, seventeen percent syrup liquid that then mixes at the point of dispense um, and presents well. Um, it sounds a lot easier than it is. Mm. You can't just kind of, you can't just leave it on the stove and let it simmer down. Um, it doesn't. It's not like a stock. You can't just, uh, you can't just leave it that way, unfortunately. And the way it's dispensed is also really critical. Like. If you if you if your Coke syrup is a little bit off and your your water is a bit bit less or something, it's not the end of the world. But in this in alcoholic beverages, it could mean someone getting done from drink driving kind of thing. So getting yeah. that those yeah. measurements spot on was a lot of work. 
And and you're right there, Chris, on the way it damages the um, the equipment and the hoses and stuff. When I worked at a particular cinema, we tried one time to uh, hook the old post-mix machine up to um, bowls of whiskey and the Coke syrup and run them through simultaneously, and it worked for about a day. It didn't taste very good, but um, <laughs> it completely destroyed the machine. And uh, and there were certain people at the cinema that weren't very impressed with us, but... Um, that's a that's a whole other story. I, I once <laughs> tried making sangria in a in a like a soda stream. Um, yeah. it was anything like that, then yeah, I, I think I think I can kind of appreciate the difficulty because you just think to yourself, yeah, you just put red wine, sugar, and some orange juice into a in a soda stream bubble and pump her up. No, it doesn't happen. It's yeah. Anyway, <laughs> enough um, of us. Um, so just before. Oh, no, you, you just Jane, I just Jane. When you've tried to recarbonate flat beer, how did that go? Yeah. Well, That's what I want to know. Go on, unmute yourself, Jane. We no, no, no. We'll, we, we'll get no to no we'll good. get to audience questions towards <laughs> the end. Um, I, we kind of touched on it before. Before we move on to the next beer, though, guys, uh, someone asked me a question privately, and I won't say who, but it's quite an interesting thing. Um, do you guys believe that fizzes are fizzes or? Are they here to stay? Is it just a fad that's going to just dwindle out? Or do you guys see that in, uh, you know, 10 years from now, when you're celebrating your your 20th year, you're still making salsas and, and they're selling really well? Chris? <laughs> uh, having seen how it's been taken on in the last 12 months in the Australian market, we've not seen anything close to what it's going to become. If you want to compare it to the States, I think it's very comparable to the Australian market as far as craft beer goes um, and craft products, for example. Uh, you're replacing or you're not replacing. You're going up against your RTDs, your premixes, all of these things that are, um, have, for example, a higher cost to produce and also um, less value at the, end, at the consumer end. Um, there's less options as well as far as flavor and it's a flavor led category. So there is, um, there's no, there's no actual limit to what you can do apart from what you can think of. Um, one of the products that we we've released as part of the post mix is kind of like a, a cocktail spritz, which is to emulate a popular aperitif spritz is the best way to put it. And, and from that, you can find that there's, all these flavor combinations using natural acids and the, the flavors you find naturally in the world. Um, but it's, I think we passed the 1 million liter mark. When was that? In uh, August? Uh, uh, October or August, was it? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. September, October it was. We passed 1 million liters of Fizzer produced um, in under 12 months. I think it took us seven years to get there for beer. I was that was going to be my next question. <laughs> what, what, what was the comparison on the two? That's amazing. Uh, like, yeah, our first million was about eight, seven or eight years. I think. Yeah. Now I, I, feel, I feel like we're totally getting into a, a clear liquid podcast, and I'm not really fond of that idea. So I feel like we need to to bring this back into alignment, and someone needs to steer the ship. I think David's still on mute. Um, we are moving on to the fresh quince of Bel Air, which is just 
Fucking good name for a beer. That's that's awesome. Um, Warren, you're going to lead us off on this one, mate. Um, obviously, you've got your questions in front of you and you're good to go. Hopefully, you've got your beer in front of you as well. I, I did have the beer in front of me, but I've drank it. So. You finished it. Well, at least you, you're good. You know what it tastes like. David, yeah, I hope you've it's... got your beer in front of you as well. Um, Warren, uh, over to you. Awesome. So just like just like starting in West Philadelphia and moving to Bel Air, uh, we're going to discuss your move to uh, Moondog Weld. So just moving. That's a much better segue than I wrote, Warren. Well played, mate. Yeah, but you, it's like you laid the groundwork. So it's, it's standing on the shoulder of giants. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, from, from little old Abbotsford through to enormous fuck off Preston. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, so tell us a lot. No, actually, we'll start with the beer. We'll start with the beer because that's a that's a nice way to start. Um, run us through what we should be tasting. Run us through the idea of this, what, what, what we should be appreciating on this muggy, muggy um, Melbourne evening. So this, uh, this beer is a very unique style. Um, and I think what, what is very unique about it is the yeast that is used. Mm. Um, it is, it's a very special yeast that you won't see many beers. Anyway, um, yeah, so the yeast was found on a gravestone in uh, West Philadelphia and essentially is a sour beer yeast. It produces a lot of uh, lactic and I think it's a malic acid as well, but it essentially... Am I still echoing? No. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So hold on. A grave, you were saying a gravestone. Yes. In it's which one? Graveyard. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, it gives a really sort of fruity, sour flavor. Um, and it's sort of, it's, it's much more um, sort of juicy on the tongue. Um, you'll feel it sort of stimulating your, your taste buds and your saliva glands a lot more than mm-hmm. your normal sour beer. So that's the kind of the, the tang that we wanted to do. Um, so yeah, you, you'll, you'll taste the quince coming through as well. That's that kind of sweet jammy flavor that kind of balances off that really juicy sour. Um, but yeah, the quince, um, the quince was chosen as the be as the fruit for this beer specifically because it rhymed with Prince. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's the best reason I've ever heard for choosing. Yes, and we definitely came up with the name of the beer first, and then we're like, yeah. oh, well, can we put Quince in it? Um, turns out yeah. you can. So. Um, I'm just trying to think of other things that rhyme with Prince that could go in the next edition of this beer. Um, Prince. Wait, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Flints. <laughs> yeah. Shrimps. Shrimps? Oh. Mince. Mince. Mince, that's a good one. Fresh I mean, you put chicken in a beer before. You put chicken in a beer before. Yeah. You have put chicken in a beer. Although you could have mince meat, which would be a, a very festive kind of, yeah. as a mince pie. Ah. Yeah. Like fruit, fruit mince, yeah. Yeah, not like, not like lean... Cold brand, cold brand degrade mints. Yeah. Um. Okay. So so let's talk about Moondog World. Like, let's talk about that. I think that's that's a fascinating part. And for I don't 
we've discussed it before on the podcast, but for the people who who have never been there and have no idea what Moondog is, Moondog World is, explain to them what they should be expecting when they walk through the doors. Um. Well, it's 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 it, again. Um, it is in an industrial area for the similar sort of reasons why we chose the place in Abbotsford. So the the front and the street is very industrial, just factories uh, and warehouses. But what sets ours apart that you can see is a giant neon sign that that lights up the road when you're driving past. So that's the only indication that there is a bar here. You have to travel down a. a well, it's not so dark. There's lights now, but uh, a pretty gross alleyway um, that's poorly signed. Um, and then once you sort of turn at the corner around the alleyway, it opens up into this what would be a almost a sixteen hundred square meter venue with palm trees and forests and a huge waterfall running down into a river, going underneath the bridge that you're walking across into a big lagoon with a fountain in the middle with deck chairs, retractable roofs that open up to let the sun in uh, and big uh, big containers where you can sort of walk upstairs and sit to have a whole view of the place. So it's it really is an oasis in, a, in an industrial area and that's kind of what you expect when you when you walk in there. Um, just to jump in and, and to, to move away from our normal convention where, where people ask questions at the end, I think Kelly's brought up a really good one. Um, when you go open the waiting pool up for, for patrons, like even for a short period of time, I think that's the yeah. first thing that crosses everyone's head when they... The, the question, Warren, is not just patrons. There's a difference between kiddies and patrons. No, no, no. As a, kidding pool, as a kiddie pool, but, like, everyone can go in it. Because pint glasses and water mix. It doesn't... I was going to say, what, what is the number one rule for people who have pools that is no glass? Yeah, it's um, true. No pint glasses near but, the pool. But only if you're going to allow people to constantly go in there. If you're doing a once-off, all right, we're just doing it. I um, Get it I, out of your I, system and then fuck off. I, I had a friend who owned a pool as a teenager and someone broke a glass near it and the glass ended up in the water. They had to drain the pool, clear it out. It's... It's never a good, never a good call, is it, guys? You just, you just can't see it. It, it turns yeah. invisible the second it hits the water. So. Yep. Yeah. But then well, you can drain I mean, it, it was, out and fill it with chocolate. <laughs> is there some sort of licensing thing with having the pool on site? Because when, when you guys opened Moondog World and you had the pool there, my brain straight away went to like, hang on a sec, how's that going to work from like a safety perspective and stuff? Like, what are the what are the things you had to put in place to, to actually make that happen and get it there? I think the term pool is is incorrect. It's an ornamental <laughs> lagoon. <laughs> I fucking hope it's under I mean, how many, people, how many people were in it in the first week? I think the count in the first ten days of people just. Making making the most of a, a, a cool pool on a hot day. But I think the what was the the, the um, official ruling was without a um, a fence around it. It had to be below twenty nine centimeters or below thirty centimeters, or we'd yeah, have, right. have a full time yeah. permit. Yeah. Oh, so we made it two hundred and ninety nine millimeters deep. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you have to actually go in and measure that to make like? Do you have to keep track of it? Is it 
the way we built it, you can't do it. it once it goes over that, it overflows. So that's Josh. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nice. Did, have you had second thoughts about such a massive venue? Like it is, it is, it is enormous. Like it is monolithically huge. Monolithic's not even the right word for it, but it's just massive. Have you had thoughts about the size and the the kind of scope of it all? Remember when we were first looking for venues to, because the idea behind Preston was essentially, was initially going to be an expansion of our manufacturing facility. We wanted to build a big brewery somewhere and we were looking for sites and these guys took us to this site in Preston, one of the first sites that we saw. And we saw it and it was 12,000 square metres, huge um, and ridiculous. It, it had, you know, it was just packed full of old equipment like presses and furnaces and uh, huge machines that look like, you know, it's not going to work. And we said, no, 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 it's too big. We only need about five or 6,000 square metres for the brewery and maybe, I don't know, maybe 200, 300 square metres for the venue, just a little tasting bar, that kind of stuff. And so they'd take us around to the next one and we'd be like, no, this doesn't work, it's not the right spot. And then they'd say, all right, what about the other one? And we're like, no, it's too big. We already fucking told you this. Um, and every time they just come bringing us back and bringing us back and they tempt us with these, you know, they'll clear out all the shit. They'll replace the roof. They'll do all this. And eventually we were just like, you know what? All right. We mapped it out. We looked at what the floor plan was. We saw where we we're going to put the brewery. We saw where we we're going to put the packaging. And then we had about, yeah, 1,600 square metres left over. And we thought, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just build a massive venue and see what happens. Let's just make it ridiculous. Let's... Um, you know, let's make it modular. Let's make it so people can, can come and do a different thing every time. Let's let's have a, a hidden tiki bar. Let's have a waterfall. Let's have, you know, a formal area. Let's have a beer garden outside that holds, you know, 300 people. Why not? Because we can. And so we did the numbers, ran the plans and thought, you know what, fuck it, let's just give it a go. Um, and since we opened, we've had... Um, well, when I, when I say no second, well, we've had no second thoughts, but COVID certainly brought some second I was, thoughts. Yeah. I was about to ask that question. If, <laughs> if when we went into lockdown, if you walked into the waiting pool and just started kicking water around in anger. We were open five months when we were shut down, um, yep. which wasn't great. But now things are things are picking up. Things are working out well. No restrictions. It's uh, it's looking good. So, no, we're, we're pretty happy with what we've built. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that's it's such a moondogish thing to just go, fuck it. <laughs> let's let's just do it and see what happens. Like let's just make it this amazing thing and this throw in this ridiculous idea and just have it work and just have it kind of just a lot of work involved, but yeah, just make it happen. I think mm-hmm. there's there is a very moondog thing about that. Yeah, I mean, we had we had no idea it was going to work. Uh, we kind of we kind of banked on it, but um, yeah, no, the the response that we've gotten it was just blew us away. Um, I feel like David was about to say something. Then were you, were you about to chime in there, David? No, just what? laughing at your questions. It's all good. <laughs> so um, you're so steering touched... the ship, even if Warren's supposed to be. Um, we touched on the idea of COVID. Uh, and we're we're kind of at the we're kind of seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. But yeah, what tell us about that and the and the the second thoughts there and your and the kind of feelings that that's kind of brought yeah, up. I mean, 
I, I, I fucking hope that we're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I hope the tunnel's fucking way back there behind us, to be honest. Um, I agree. Like, yeah, yeah we're, we are open. There are no venue limits. People have to scan in and shit and get jabs, but that's, you know, um, it's not the end of the world. And so, look, we, we've come out of it. We've survived. We've got our team mostly intact. We didn't let go of any full-time staff during the whole two years. Wow. Because of that, um, we kept all of our full-time staff, even if it was reduced days or reduced pay, we managed to get through. Um, and so now our team has come out stronger. Um, our team has come out more dedicated and it's... Uh... Warren, you've got a couple <laughs> more questions and I actually like this next question. I think this next question's really cool um, and I really want to know the answer to it. So why don't you kick off on the next question and then we'll run into the traditional cool room question. Yep, sounds good. Um, and then we'll take a quick short break. A quick short break? Is it? No, we'll take yeah, a short do. break. Yeah, a short break and we'll um, see what happens after and, that. And we'll come back and uh, and get on to the, uh, the magic IPA number two. It's really um, great having Carl here because this question is, is perfect when you've yeah. got an actual guy who, who helped, who, who signs those checks. Um, there's been rumours swirling around for other Moondog worlds popping up or other Moondog venues in other places. Uh, can you confirm or deny these rumours? Rumours, hey? There you go. I wonder where these rumours come from. Um, I'm on the spot, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, our, our, the response that we've got from... From our fan, from our fans, and from our, the customers and the community on the opening of Moondog World blew us away. It was more than we could ever expected. Um, and so, we we had two years ago we had plans to open up uh, probably two additional venues at some stage within the last two years, um, both in the similar sort of region, similar sort of things. You know, in, a, in an industrial area, but with a big residential site. Somewhere out west, somewhere far down south. Um, I like that you said out west because I was about to say to you, there's a lot of really cool warehouses out here. Yeah, yeah, right. really cool. We we found we found probably two out there in Foot in Footscray and Footscray West that we yeah, lost nice. that were just perfect. Um, and we we're going to do something. It wasn't going to be Moondog World. Uh, so you know, Moondog World is its own thing. It's its own mm. unique thing. Um, there there are a lot of other concepts that we were playing with that would just be the same sort of, you know, fucking let's just go crazy and do this kind of thing. Um, but that's unfortunately because of what's happened, it's been put on hold uh, and I can't tell you much more than that. So. That's good. That's enough. That's exciting. That's, that's, that's really that's, exciting. That's still a pretty good scoop. That, uh, I like that scoop. Yeah, I like scoops. Was yeah, I not supposed like, to say that, Chris? Oh, no, I've told them more already. There <laughs> oh, okay, <go>. cool. <laughs> like, you could tell that like a popular late late 2000s kind of rapper who brought out a song called Low was kind of the basis of one of them. <laughs> Love it. You kids, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like, Carl's just come in at the end of all these conversations we've had previously and like... He's... <laughs> That's, speaking, of conversations, speak, speaking of conversations we've had previously... Um, we've got this answer from Chris, although he can he can rehash his old answer or give us another one. But we might start with Carl um, because he hasn't provided us an answer to this question before. So it's our traditional cool room question. 
what's the most confronting, strange, amusing, fucked up, silly, hilarious, awful, sexy thing you've ever seen in a cool room? And we really loosely define cool room. So that could be, I don't know, in a waiting pool in a brewery pub or in or anywhere the, uh, a hospitality venue or beer production venue um so josh and i josh and i used to live in 17 duke street when we first moved in there um and essentially we'd built these kind of walls which stored all of our goods so you could call it a quorum really hmm. um and we slept in there as well so that was us and we also had a well, I wouldn't call it a kitchen, but it, we definitely... So we lived there for two years inside this kind of warehouse and this kind of cool roomy thing that we built for the goods. Um, and one time I'd slept in um, and I was hearing Josh working out the back on the brewery doing some welding because um, I'd been up I'd been up late. I don't know what I was doing. But uh, so I got up and I thought, you know what? The cool room itself was at one end of the warehouse and the shower was right at the front. Mm. And I thought, oh, I hear Josh working. I reckon I can skip down, jump in the shower without putting any clothes on and he won't even see me. Um, so <laughs> Damo, Damo knows his story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I jump out, start walking towards the shower, completely naked, and uh, it was not that I had known, but it was that morning when we had scheduled, when Josh had scheduled an interview with, I think it was Time Out magazine. Um, and so at that point, there was a photographer and a journalist that had just walked in through the front and was standing between me and my shower. Um, and I sort of stopped and went, hi, uh, uh, I'm just going to go just get past you for a second and then jump in the shower. And I think I sort of pointed them in the direction of Josh, but um, I get the feeling that they may have been scarred by that experience. Yeah. It was so quick I couldn't even hide myself. It was ridiculous. So. There are so many beautiful parts to that story. You know what I mean? It's like the, the timing of it all, of it all. The sheer fact that, that your living quarters was were like a walk through an area to get to the shower, like, and you were living in the brewery for two years. Like, there's yeah. so many amazing things about that. Oh, yeah. Cool room, sorry. Did it feature, did, did, it, did that Raider mention in the, in the... I don't believe that the photographer was quick enough to get their photo, get their camera ready and take a snap. Um, I think they just probably... Uh, Wiped it from their minds as soon as they could. That would be my guess. Yeah, Have you ever seen the photographer or the, or the journal again? No, I don't believe so. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the cool room. It's a very special episode tonight, which I think everyone will be enjoying, if for no other reason than the fact that I'm up here in Bendigo and pretty much on mute permanently. Uh, Travis and Warren are doing a fantastic job of talking to Chris and Carl about the entire Moonbog story. It's a great long story. The cool room and venues that I've run over the years are very lucky to have been part of it. We're about to move on to the next part of the story and to talk about the magic eye. Um, Guys, I've got to say, my son used to be obsessed with the Jedi juice can. 
He's now a bit obsessed with these cans, and we know what happened with Jedi juice. Um, are you a little bit worried about where that, where that might go? <laughs> are we worried that our uh, packaging appeals to minors? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> well, I'm in Bendigo, so there's all kinds of miners up here, you know, mainly gold. But, yeah, do you, do you think gold miners might be interested? <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, I'm not concerned. We, 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 we really love uh, doing something a bit different. Um, and one of my favourite things in the world is nostalgia, uh, and this, is, this really ticks all those boxes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I reckon, David, your, your son likes these the same way the guys at Moondog, for the same reason the guys at Moondog like these. They just love staring at them and wondering what the, what the shit's going on there. That's exactly what my son says. Yeah. My day-to-day job. Can, can we maybe talk about what's in the can to kick some of this off? So um, can you take us on a little bit of a tasting tour around, around this beer? Let's pour it out into a, into a little glass. I've got a specially little glass that is quite truly the biggest glass that my parents own. Um, what should we be looking for when we, we look at the colour of it in the glass? What should we be smelling? What should we be tasting? I just spilt it all over myself trying to pour it on camera. Hang on. In my specialty IPA glass that I bought when I first started Moondog because that's what everyone on the forums was buying. Yeah, I mean, classic, clear, a little bit of a haze to it as far as the, I think the the style goes as a West Coast, I think what we call these these days. Um, Big, big, Fruit, bit of pine on there as well. Look for something that's what seven percent. Um, it goes. Yeah. It doesn't taste like a seven percent. It's way smooth. We we had the magic eye number one in one of our hmm. uh, foiled up mystery tastings that we do on Sunday afternoons here in the forum. Um, can you tell us a bit about how this might differ from that? And, you know, how, how important is it when you bring out these different brands? We've seen a few different sort of series. These are the Magic Eyes. We've had the Dog Series with all your, all your pups on the cans. How important is it to make sure they taste different and are distinct beers? Oh, me. Yep. I can do it if you want. I'm the salesperson. <laughs> I'd have to do it as well, but it just won't well, have that ring of authenticity. Which, <laughs> okay, one, it was, it, was, it was single hopped, wasn't it? Single dry hopped, I should say. Um, uh, it was different. I think mean, the hops in it were what? We've got Citra, Eureka, and Talus, I think, were the ones in Magic IPA 1. Um, so it gave you more of... Oh, I guess it's a little bit more on the piney and citrusy side. So, yeah, um, I think the, the biggest difference was one one focuses on um, tropical flavours. So your passion fruit, yeah. your mango, that kind of stuff, that was number one. That was the kind of jest to that. And number two is more of your floral citrus hops. Hmm. Um, so, like, Centennial and Simcoe, they're both really well-known, big American, orange mandarin kind of hops. Um, whereas, yeah, previously where we're using a much more tropical pineapple, uh, papaya kind of flavoured hops, essentially. But the, the beer itself, they're both West Coast IPAs. They're both that old school kind of 
um, really juicy, but with a real decent malt backbone as well. So, and you know, I guess one of the questions we had was about the the broad range of styles that you guys do. So you're producing this at the same time as you're producing the quince, at the same time as you're producing line and length sort of beers like Old Mate. We won't even mention the seltzer again. That'll just kick off into another half an hour's worth of conversation. We haven't even got to the jump in the shark. That's a huge range of styles. Um, how does the brew team and you know the whole team have the brain space for all that? Oh, look, I mean that's that's part of the that's part of the team. Like that's part of who they are. That's part of who our brewers are. That they they really love coming up with these kind of ideas, fleshing out some of this stuff, developing these recipes. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't hire straight up and down production brewers. We hire people with passion and people who want to put, um, you know, their, their thoughts and their energy and their ideas and their innovations into the products that they're producing. Uh, whether that whether that means, you know, brewing your old mate and your, your lagers um, to the best that you can or whether it means coming up with really new, interesting, crazy ideas. We, we, built, we built the brew house custom design specifically to be able to handle high gravity, ingredients being added at every step of the way, um, being able to, you know, direct fluid from one tank to the other and back and forth. So just so we have that uh, ability to be able to really uh, give our brewers that freedom to flesh out these ideas and these innovations. So, look, the, 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 these guys absolutely love it. Um, love coming up with those ideas. These, these IPAs specifically are generally from uh, one of our best IPA brewers, I'd say the best IPA brewer in the world, just 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 from my perspective, is uh, is Anders. And I think he's an amazing IPA brewer. He comes up with these incredible blends of hops that just give it that kind of really put-together character, which I really like. So. Yeah, I'm going to ask a question of Chris here, um, but I, the question is about Carl. Um, yeah. <laughs> Carl and Josh and the t- do, do the owners often still have ideas for beers, and do they wander through and tell people this is what they want, and then the rest of the team has to find a way of massaging that into something that is actually saleable? I think there's a very good example in the packs that we have today. If you look at the lemon haze, which I believe everyone should have received. Yeah, I think most um, people think that came- they want to beers tonight. No, that that came from the uh, the wonderful brain of our, our friend. Carl here. Carl, how did you come about Lemon Haze? Can I ask a question even before he answers? Were you at Sovereign Hill and did you go to the lolly shop at Sovereign Hill and buy some lemon acid drops? Um, not not lemon, um, but uh, <laughs> there was certainly something that <laughs> did that. But... Um, <laughs> um, look, no, it, it wasn't it wasn't and to answer the, the previous question josh and i still we still have a, a i'd like to think we still have a decent influence in what happens but um we're we're, we're not involved in the day-to-day of this business anymore um we, we we you know we we still have relationships and we still talk to everybody we still come up with ideas and stuff but the the brewery itself and the the company itself is such a it's such a really well-developed, um, mature company that these kind of ideas, we, we, we have processes and, and things where people can, can submit whatever they want and whatever ideas and whatever innovations they can. And 
and we, we treat them all equally and put them all through the tests and do t- tests and pilot batches and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the team that's been built up over the last 10 years hold the same kind of values and the same kind of passion that Josh and I started the company with. And I think that's, that's what's pushed this company forward over the last few years. It's, it's the team. It's not us. But um, the lemon haze, that was my bit. I'm going to take credit for that. Um, and <laughs> uh, so don't say anything bad about it. Um, <laughs> but that was essentially, I think, me at the bar one night, I can't even remember when it was, just getting really drunk and saying, oh, how cool would it be if we mixed, um, I think it was Blester Haze. Um, yeah, it was half Blester Haze, half Lemon Squeezy Fizzer. Uh, and it tasted amazing. Uh, and so, yeah, this one uh, the, the, uh, has come out of that. Can, can you recall a time that the team's ever said a hard no to you? Like you walked in and said what we need is half ostrich, half lemon, half Bing Crosby mixed in a beer. And they've just gone, mate, we can't get Bing Crosby anymore. You know, it's just the, you can't get the parts. Um, no, I can't, I can't, I can't remember that. I, I remember, I remember one decision that we, that I got a hard no for, um, was the name of the venue in Preston. Oh yeah. Um, Tell us that story. It's, yeah. it's eight o'clock. That's the time we get our scoops. So it wasn't, I didn't come up with the, with Moondog World. I'm not going to take credit for that, but it was one of the names that was thrown in. And as soon as it was thrown in, I'm like, yeah, that is a great name. I love it. Moondog World it encapsulates what we're trying to do here. It is a it is a it is a theme park. It's all about fun. It's all about you know me growing up in the nineties, going to Wobby's World when I was a kid. You know I loved it. It was uh, it was exactly the sort of name. And uh, we we had our marketing department essentially give me a hard no and say no, we're not calling it that. Um, it's a that's a it's a bad name. And I said you know what I, was, I stuck to my guns. And like there is no way that we are not calling this Moondog World. Um, so I had to go through a push that as hard as I'd push anything else. Um, and, yeah, the, uh, the the people in the marketing department are very happy that I did that, I think. So. You're, you're oh, I'm going to give up the reins in a second, but that's still not a hard no. You got your away. I, I want to hear the story of the thing you didn't get away with, you know, the English setter-flavoured beer. Oof. Have you met Macca? <laughs> like, it's... Well, he, doesn't, Macca, right? he doesn't get hard nose. He has a crack and then they taste like shit. And so yeah, Exactly. Well, yeah. like the, the chicken beer is the is the always the one that's kind of synonymous with like what Macca will do to try and get or find out what happens when you put something into something and create something else. He's a Johnny come late. I beer. brewed my chicken beer in nineteen ninety eight, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you dump a whole roast chicken into the wort while you were boiling it? Uh, um, and well, yeah, so, so I, I, I boiled off my chicken and removed oh. the fat. <laughs> yeah, no, we just dumped the whole thing in and then we ate the chicken afterwards and it was delicious. Oh, there's so much to unpack on that. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, to reference back to what we were talking about earlier with the pool, the fact that you reference Bobby's world there, Carl, is like just the key thing on why you don't allow people into your pool at Moondog World. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I remember. I remember going into a, a radio interview when we first opened the venue, and the person that I was with 
um, he, he says to me, look, we're going into this interview on the radio. Don't mention Wobby's World. Don't mention <laughs> Wobby's World. It is a children's theme park. You cannot mention Wobby's World. Wobby's World. Wobby's, Wobby's World. Wobby's World. Don't mention Wobby's World. Don't mention Wobby's World. <laughs> and so we get into the we get into the radio interview, and the first thing that the interviewer says to us is like, "Oh, so you named your bar after Wobby's World?" <laughs> right. Well, you know, he said it. I didn't say. It. <laughs> oh, that, that's actually brilliant. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably haven't had as many accidents at the bar as Wobby's World had in their last few years. Yeah, take- <laughs> Come on, I've got an idea for the name for the next uh, the next venue. If it's like Bain Marie based buffet, you could call it Fizzlers. Oh my oh, god, that's so oh, good! Oh, yes, <laughs> right now. I feel oh, like Chris so has good. been sitting on that for like the last yeah, five yeah, minutes. That's, right? that's in the last five minutes. <laughs> Fizzlers. Oh my god, that is amazing. Oh, did- so hold on, Carl. Were you around for the swagman, the swagman's hat out in like it was Doncaster or something? Um, I, no, that was um, come come by a park. Was it? Or... No, the, swag, the swagman's hat was a buffet restaurant. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this back. No, no, Travis, you're gonna try and steer the ship. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna steer it. Steer it. Go on, steer it. I'm gonna distract us twice here, mate. I am gonna, gonna totally things. steer this ship. Um, I'm, even I'm gonna say. Watch Class Action Park. I was about to, to mention what... that. Yes. <laughs> so Class Action Park is absolutely what everyone should watch if they want to see what happens when a legitimate Wobby's world goes under. So, you know, that's the, that's the absolute type. Anyway, of steering the ship. Steering the ship. We're going to have a, a quick discussion in a sec about the, the can art because we're all, we, we love a good can art discussion. But for some reason in my head, Chris, when you said fizzlers, I just pictured a bunch of kids going up to your post mix machine to get drinks. Oh, that's exactly what post is designed for. Like, like, it's, the, it's like Carl said, going back to the, the, the joy of nostalgia. Um, I remember the first time I heard about it, it was, what, the Christmas party, before the Christmas party um, last year, I think, when we announced it. And I remember just thinking about it and thinking, fuck, yeah, that sounds fun. And the first time that we got to, I say, play around with the actual machine, the, the equipment itself, walking up to it with a glass full of ice and just being able to pour yourself this kind of the drink from the machine and it just the, the satisfaction and the... Um, the callback to just being, uh, you know, the the joy of you know being a child again. Um, yeah. Is that how it. you came up with the idea to put the your three D eye things on a can? Because they shit me to tears. Um, I can never get them. It's one of the, been one of my pet hates throughout my entire life. For some reason, they just don't fucking work for me. <laughs> so well, we spent, I automatically get a lot of money off. We spent a lot of money on this. It's got the it's got the the peel part on it. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> you can like open it up, and then you can do it. And then if you if you can't do it, you can. It's got it here, so it's, got, it's like a cheat. So we you, we you love a good it. cheat. <laughs> who who actually came up with the idea? That was Brooke, um, wasn't it? Sorry, what Brooke? I think it was either Brooke or Lauren. Yeah, yeah. Was it a case when the idea was came up with though that they were kind of laughed at, or was it automatically you guys everyone was just like that's a that's a brilliant idea? 
It was just like Fizzler. Everyone in the room was just like, yes, we are doing yeah, that. Like Brooke, our marketing manager, basically, as soon as he thought of it, he had that one idea and he was like, I'm not going to let this go until it happens because he wants it. <laughs> Good to appreciate. Yeah, nice. Nice. Um, this this beer is excellent. I'm I'm loving this so much so that I'm actually probably not going to open up my next beer because uh, it's going to sit in my uh, my fridge for a little bit longer. And uh, we're going to move on very very soon and talk about the jumping the shark. Um, there's probably a few people in the in the Zoom room tonight that are actually going to open their beer, uh, which is really cool. And then there'll be a few that don't. I'm not sure if you guys. Oh no, Chris just stood up again. Um, <laughs> It's almost uh, like he's wearing a jumpsuit, like a, you know, like a... <laughs> Carl, do, do you have a jumping the shark hand? Are you going to try it? Oh, he's back. I, I like what you did there, Chris. You didn't... My problem is, my problem is I don't want to open it because I have to drink the whole thing myself. Mm, that's um, key. Chris is about to open his, I, which is really cool. I apologize for my, my Sharon's... Hopefully there's a couple of other people in the room. I'm not sure if David, we had a discussion in the break, um, which guys you won't hear on the podcast version, but we discussed whether or not David could buy a bottle opener in Bendigo. Um, personally, I would have thought in Bendigo, they were pretty much just like everywhere, but that's just me. Everywhere other than my parents' house, Travis. I think that's uh, the- did you find one? Did you find a bottle opener? I'll go and have a look right now, my friend. You go and you, you keep things happening in the meantime. I will. I will. Um, <laughs> David, David's gotten up. He's heading off to try and find a bottle opener. Chris has already opened. He's he's jumping the shark up. I'm almost tempted to do mine, but I don't think I'm going to. Um, we, we'd normally finish fine. the podcast on the third beer, but uh, we're going to have a bit of a discussion um, about jumping the shark. I was going to wait till... David got back. I'm just not sure how much I can fill between now and then. Um, there was a reference earlier, Carl. Are those sunglasses glued to your head? <laughs> no, I do put them in front of yes. my eyes when the sun comes out. So, yeah. No, they're, they're... So just between 6 a.m. and midday in Melbourne at the moment? Yeah. 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 There's going to be people that we that we have a we have quite a few overseas listeners which we didn't touch on earlier that that reference in relation to sunglasses for only the first first part of the day they're not going to get that reference so it'll be interesting to see what their take on it is um, it is interesting that it's 8 p.m. and you've still got your sunglasses on your head though David well, did you find shining. a bottle opener yes <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Um, guys, for those for those in the Zoom room that are actually cracked open, they're, they're jumping the shark, uh, and David, who's about to crack open his. Um, this is a beer that a lot of the listeners out there will grab every year. Um, you know, in, in my case, I'll grab a couple and put one away uh, and drink the previous years when I get the new one type thing. Um, give us a bit of a breakdown on this one, though. Uh, tell the guys, you know, what, what are we... What are we tasting? Talk us through the beer a bit. Jumping the Shark um, is very special to us, I guess. Um, when we first released it uh, back in 2013, uh, it was our first one that we ever did. And, and essentially it, it allowed it allowed us to really push what we what we could do. We, we decided it was going to be the beer where we would try something brand new and we would go crazy and we would do something completely ridiculous 
um, that would, you know, it would make it a, a, a completely over the top beer. Uh, and at, the, at that stage, the reference, obviously the people who don't understand the reference, it's a, it's a jumping the shark. It's happened in the happy days um, when Fonzie jumped the shark when he was water skiing. And it colloquially means that uh, when a, a TV series or something of that ilk jumps the shark, it's, they've reached their peak and they're on the decline because they're, they're going crazy. They're doing stupid things just to try and stay relevant. Um, and so in 2013, when we released Jumping the Shark, um, I, 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 I'm not sure if we did it ironically or not, but um, it was definitely trying to be peak. I've heard stories of it. You've heard stories I've, of it? I never tried yeah, like this one, from my perspective, because um, my interaction with Renault has been through what? Uh, when I worked at um, Kent Street and we had um, Brent was my was my rep who I took over from. Um, and we had Old Mate on. So that's all I knew you guys from. And then I heard when I got here about Jumping the Shark, jumping the shark 2013, um, just being this, this bit that you were just like, fuck it, let's just do it. Like, let's make something ridiculous and let's just, like half piss take half let's go like like see what we can do which is i think what i what i loved about it um which is one of the reasons that i i always knew the brand and probably why i was so happy to join um and this is something that it's the most talked about beer that i've had and the one that i've never actually experienced so trying it right now is the first time so for me it's i'm part of the fan club too with it nice and i remember uh back in 2013 and damo will remember this um we we brewed 20 liters of this beer uh and it was it was a, a huge a massive imperial stout truffled and just just a ridiculously i think it was like 15 percent or something like that uh and we put it behind the bar at the fed square brewery microbrewery showcase back then i think it was a little bit in 2012 i'd say um and we had 20 liters of it and we it was a corny keg and we attached a little tap to it and we basically only gave it to people who knew what to ask for as that kind of special thing. So when someone would come up to our bar uh, for this particular showcase and be like, Oh, can I get a, uh, can I get a glass of uh special special? Um, then we would pour them a little bit of this beer and it kind of, uh, it kind of, yeah, it was a bit of a kind of grew from that. And we realized that we we're onto something. People were loving it. And we thought, fuck it, let's just uh, let's just have a crack at doing something completely ridiculous. Um, Carl, what's what's been your favourite jumping the shark so far? Um, it's really hard to go past 2013, and I, I drank this last week, um, and I was talking to to Maka, who the guy who brewed it. Because uh, uh, Macca started after 2013, I think he started in 2015. Uh, so we had to dig up the recipe for this particular beer, which I found, uh, and I gave it to him. And he brewed essentially exactly the same beer on exactly the same system as we did in 2013. Um, and I think I think it's it's just as good, if not better. Um, so yeah, this I'd say that. I mean, the other jumping the sharks have been fantastic, um, bar one, which is virtually undrinkable. But, you know, when, when you fly close to the sun, you're going to get burned at some stage. Which, which one do you which rate one? the undrinkable one? <laughs> you've, you've said it now. You've got to tell us. <laughs> I, did, I did this event at, uh, at a wine shop in, uh, in Northcote, uh, and we were doing tastings of Jumping the Shark three years, 13, 
14 and 15. Uh, and by the end of it, they're like, all right, we're selling the three pack 2014, 20, 2013, 2014, 2015, all in a three pack for this amount. And everyone, everyone who was there was like, uh, do we, do we have to buy the 2014 one? And, <laughs> and we're like, yes, that's part of the three pack. You have to buy the 2014 one. <laughs> but the 2014 one was a, uh, was a saffron, uh, infused red ale. Uh, and for those. Oh, yeah. And for those who for those who have used saffron before, you know that you only use a very small amount. It was uh, a very dry drink. Very, it was. It, it's a really strong, really strong uh, fig. Uh, sorry, not fig. Uh, spice. But I think we added to a to a small batch. I think we added kilograms of this stuff, which was thousands of dollars worth of saffron. Um, it was a ridiculous amount, and we found out once the beer was packaged and brewed that when you put in that much saffron into a beer, it tastes like petrol. Um, so that's, that's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, as as everyone knows, when they 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 come into the Zoom room at, at the end of the night, you get to uh, take yourself off mute and ask a couple of questions. We've got a couple of space for a, a couple of questions before we wrap this thing up. Um, Chris and Carl, you guys have been amazing with your time. So we'll, uh, we'll ask a couple of audience questions and then everyone can sit around in the room and uh, have a couple of drinks. And if you guys are happy to hang around, I'm sure there'll be uh, a few more questions after we stop the record. Uh, Mr. Damien Petty, you are up first, my friend. Unmute yourself and ask away. Okay, so I've got a quick preface. You can edit this out if you don't like it. But um, a friend, friend of mine and myself, we used to try and get the top 50 of untapped Australian rated beers and the 2013 and 14 were in that. And I found a 2013 online in New Zealand that, for sale. So that's how I procured my first, and it, well, my only 2013. And I uh, had a work colleague bring it back with him. And that was in 2017. Um, so my question was, and you've kind of answered it already, was um, Maka, are they all his recipes? But the 2013 isn't. 2013 was ours, 2014. Well, when Maka, I think we, we've we always worked with Macca on JTS um, just because it's something that's so special. Um, and so we've all, I think, essentially we've all worked together, Josh and I and the brewers, we've all worked together on all the recipes really. Thank you. Cool. Um, Shana was going to ask a question, but I'll ask for her. Is the Raisin Beard going to make a comeback? I hope so. It's the only beer. It's the only beer I've ever salad, and I've got a bottle of it. And I will name your price, and it's not yours. Keeping it, Chris. I think you bought one of them back from me in the end. What did I give you one? It's the only beer I've ever salad because I I do love beers, and also, by the way, Carl, this is fantastic. Um, (laughs) Big fan. Um, so yeah, the uh, raisin beard, I'd love to see back as a new iteration. It's probably the second most requested one we get. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's a big cool. question. Well, Very fucking cool. tell, tell fucking Sam and then get it on the list. Cause we'll do it. I didn't know that. <laughs> Sam, yeah. we'll call Brooke and Sam right now in a conference call and tell them to bring it back. Say you're on the no, Please do. Chris, we can, do that. You can all unmute and be on that call as well, Chris. It'll be brilliant. <laughs> Chris, quickly, what's the first most requested beer? The, the Jump in the Shark 2013. 
Oh, okay, yep. Nice, yep. yep. Um, uh, uh, Kelly, where are you? You had a, a question, and I think it's a really cool question to wrap things up on tonight. So um, who comes up with the really fun merch ideas that go in the Moondoggies pack, like the puzzle and the tea towel and all that sort of thing? Is that marketing? And what are we getting in December? Spoilers, because I can't find it online. Um, so we've got, we got a project team who manages that, uh, really talented people. We've got a designer. We've got uh, Chris Heistad-Adams, who is essentially our brainchild of FISA, um, and he does all of the cool stuff. Uh, all the design stuff's done with by Lauren, and Lauren's one of our uh, longest employees. She's been with us since day one, since 2010. Um, so they they all sort of get together every now and then, and, and Maka as well to come up with the beers, um, and they yeah put together all these really unique ideas. Um, December is that the one that's with the yeah? So I'll give you a clue for December. Um, it's related to Finska. Yeah. Oh, get, get on the Instagram page and you'll see what's coming up. Best way to do oh, it. Oh, so we've released it already. Okay. I saw oh, cool. so, Instagram it, and there was nothing there. But it also might not matter because I might not get to edit this podcast all January the way I'm going, but that's all right. <laughs> um, guys, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here tonight. It's... Yeah, we've been online for a while and and like I said, you guys have been absolutely awesome with your time as you always are. Um, We're out of lockdown now. Get out to Moondog World and and check it out. Get your post mix. Get your... uh, Get your fizzes on. Oh, oh, no. This is a beer podcast, isn't it? Is it still a beer podcast, yeah? Mm -hmm. I think we're still a beer podcast. So make sure you get out... Buy your cans of, uh, of Old Mate because it's really good uh, as of all the beers being tonight. Um, David, you're up in Bendigo. You've uh, been on mute for a bit tonight and Warren and I have had to, had to try to steer the ship more so than normal. Uh, but uh, it's been a really good chat, a really good episode. Um, 